Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And I am a proud American taxpayer. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Nice to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Hope you have a great Easter, great Passover. And ready to jump into this new week with all the news of the week. Yep. Don't worry if you didn't pay your taxes. By April 15, you got two more days. Today and tomorrow. Midnight tomorrow is the deadline and pay those taxes with a smile. Remembering what a great country we live in. What great advantages we have. What great opportunities we have. What great rights we enjoy. But... It all comes with our doing our share to keep it all together, and we call that paying our taxes. Just as long as everybody pays his or her fair share, that's all that counts. Great to see you again today. We look forward to hearing from you. Uh, your comments on the news of the day on Twitter. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. And we're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio right here on Capitol Hill. Uh, we got almost the entire gang assembled today. Um, Jamie Benson's uh, got the day off. Uh, otherwise, it's Peter Ogburn and Ray Rogers and Cyprian Balding and Cyprian and his army here. Uh, <laughs> Monty and Paul as well. It takes a village. So, uh, it takes, it does. Uh, it takes a village. And we've got big stories to talk about President, uh, President Trump dropping the biggest bomb ever uh, on uh, the mother of all bombs on Afghanistan. North Korea failing in a big missile test yesterday. The White House refusing to release the visitor logs. And a judge has blocked that killing spree down in Arkansas. All of that coming up. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of the stories making news. All right. We say good morning to Chief Special Warfare Officer Joseph Schmidt III. He is a Navy SEAL. He's been in the military for 23 years. He obtained numerous medals, including a citation of valor for combat overseas. He's appeared in recruiting campaigns, even serving as the face of the Navy SEAL program on its website. Good. He is also under investigation for making adult movies. Bad. Not good. <laughs> he has appeared under the name J. Voom <laughs> in at least 29 adult films over boom, the boom, course. Boom. But yeah, right. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. He's appeared in 29 adult films over the course of seven years. His wife is a relatively well-known porn star that goes <laughs> by the name of Jules Jade. Jules Jade. And so now he's under investigation to see. Uh, they're but saying, why? well, so here's the problem. They say that if you were to do outside work outside of the military, you have Moonlight. to obtain special permission, especially if you're a Navy SEAL. Not, so it's not so much the nature of the work, although I'm sure that they're not thrilled with it, but to do any kind of work outside of your job as a, a military officer. I'm just surprised that he had time to. To do 29 films. <laughs> yeah, and serve in the military. And, and, yeah, right. uh, relatively successful, by the way. But if you hear uh, all the things he did, I mean, appearing as the face of the SEALs on the website. Yeah, tell me he's, yeah. 
he's online in more ways than one. If you want to see more than just his face, you can look yeah, up right. his his poor name, Jay Voom. Voom. Jay Voom. Hey, did you watch the birth of the giraffe? Did you hear about this? I I heard about it. I didn't watch it. I read about it. Well, yeah. congratulations to April. The April. giraffe gave birth on Saturday. Not at April the, Ryan. Not April Ryan. No, the is. Animal Adventure Park in Harpersville, New York. Now, they had put this on a live stream so yeah. people could watch yeah. and see when April the giraffe was going to give birth. <laughs> well, she gave birth on Saturday. A couple people were watching that, Bill. 1.2 million people tuned in to give watch the giraffe give birth. Did you... Tune in. Did you watch? It's safe. No, no I didn't watch it. I, I read about it, but um, yeah, we're good for April. Yeah, but, but you know, all this hullabaloo. I couldn't figure out why. I mean, it's not the first time a giraffe has given birth in captivity, right? I mean, I, no, it's no. nothing like that. It's just that they had a camera and the people were tuning in and watching. And I know some place we never heard of Har- Huntersville, New York, Harpersville, New Harpersville, York, Harpersville, yeah. New York. All right. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? I hope you had a great Easter, a great Passover, and it's good to see you. On the Monday after today, Monday, April 17. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the program, the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Don't worry, didn't get those taxes in the mail by Saturday midnight. Uh, You got an extension this year because April 15 fell on a Saturday Therefore, the uh, kind uh, IRS has extended the deadline till not even today, tomorrow. You got Tuesday until Tuesday midnight to get them in the mail or to file them online. Uh, By the way, relax. If you're from anywhere else uh, from around the country besides right here in Washington, D.C., you're welcome because normally they would have been due today, but today is Emancipation Day. That's right. Here in Washington, D.C. And so the IRS says if any municipality has a holiday right which it yeah, is today yeah. in washington dc then it, everybody else in america gets an extra day so therefore everybody got took is able to take advantage of this extra day thanks to the district of columbia so it is tuesday uh tuesday midnight and again uh as uh we, we always i always tell you every year pay those taxes with a smile uh given the great country we live in the great opportunities we have the great resources we have, and the, the tr- tremendous rights that we enjoy by birth as being Americans. It's all worth something. It's all all worth all of our paying our fair share of taxes. Uh, we just wish everybody did pay his or her fair share of taxes and that the burden didn't fall on the middle class and the wealthiest people uh, get such a free ride as they do. On this uh Day before the final tax, there are lots of big stories to talk about. Yes, indeed. And, of course, yesterday, uh, the celebration of Easter, uh, Donald Trump and his family did attend services at Bethesda-by-the-Sea down in West Palm Beach, the church where Donald and Melania were married. Uh, Donald Trump, not known necessarily for being a very church-going person. This is the first time he's been to church since he's been president. But Barack Obama didn't go all the time either. I'm not criticizing him for that. Uh, it's just that, as he told us during the campaign, this is back in Iowa in 2015 when he was asked the question, 
Uh, God, well, put it this way. When you're as good as he is and as smart as he is uh, and almost having divine powers the way he does, you don't really need God in your life, which he seems to say in response to this question. Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? I'm not sure I have. I just go and try and do a better job from there. I don't think so. I think I, if, I, if I do something wrong, I think I just try and make it right. I don't bring God into that picture. I don't. Now, when I take, you know, when we go in church and, and when I drink my little wine, which is about the only wine I drink, and have my little cracker, I guess that's a <laughs> form of asking for forgiveness. And I do that as often as possible because I feel cleansed, okay? <laughs> So it's so funny. Well, first of all, I mean, me ask forgiveness? What? Lordy Lord, you think that I would ever make a mistake? No. Why would I ever ask for forgiveness? Because I'm Donald Trump, right? I'm perfect. Does he understand how Christianity works? <laughs> right? Like yeah. me ask forgiveness? What a silly question. Of course not. But then he is. But I guess he does when he goes to church and he drinks his little wine Drink my and little has wine. his cracker. My little cracker. I, I, I never heard the host uh, or the wafer communion referred to as a cracker. Um, I don't know. I'll have to check out this Bethesda church. Maybe Drink my little wine, which is about the only wine I drink, uh -huh. and have my little cracker. I my little cracker. Yeah, right. My little cracker. You know, maybe we need to... Uh, um, Start at the top at the White House and with a little, like, what things are called. Like, they are not Holocaust centers. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> to be fair. They're also not concentration clubs. <laughs> to be fair, I thought he was, <laughs> to be fair, I thought he was talking about Mike Pence when he talked about his little cracker. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been, yeah, right. So, anyhow, that was Donald Trump, uh, his Easter. And uh, so, he didn't ask forgiveness yesterday, but maybe he did, uh, Maybe he did um, have his little cracker. But the big news yesterday, of course, was early in the morning. North Korea trying, uh, once again, a big show of strength. They had the big military parade, and then they're going to top it off uh, by they were going to teach the United States a lesson. They were going to fire off their latest missile, intercontinental missile, uh, and it it um, went the way of other North Korean missiles up and down, blew up just shortly after lose, uh, leaving the landing pad yesterday, uh, as you heard. Um, but you know what? For all kinds of questions about how that happened, uh, maybe the United States even played a role in that. But I got to tell you, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad it happened not just because it's an embarrassment to Kim Jong-un. I'm glad it happened because if not, I'll bet you Donald Trump would have bombed North Korea in response to that missile uh, operation. This is getting to be pretty scary, folks. I think we've seen that for Donald Trump, the military, the Pentagon, is like a new toy. and It's like a video game for him where he thinks he can just fire off. There's no strategy. There's no plan. There's no context. He's just firing, getting the military to fire off here, fire off there. We had a failed strike in Yemen which was a Donald Trump hastily thing. Yeah, let's do it. Let's send the, the Navy SEALs into Yemen. We lost one. Um, then we have uh, the cruise missile strike, 
49 cruise missiles raining in on Syria. Yeah, let's send Syria a message. Boom. What happened? Nothing. No results. Well, they didn't even shut down the airfield for one day. Bashar al-Assad is still in power. Civil war still rages on. But Donald Trump got his, good, got his uh, rocks off by firing off these missiles. And then we had uh, uh, Thursday. Uh, it was Friday, I guess, at any rate. I went to the briefing Friday, and uh, Sean Spicer talking about the mother of all bombs that we dropped on Afghanistan uh, in this very, very remote area of Afghanistan near the Pakistan border. Uh, again, to send a message. And you know, Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan, North Korea was on the list. North Korea would have been would have been next. Donald Trump would not have hesitated to, even though that could really have sparked. I mean, if we had bombed North Korea, South Korea would be would, wouldn't exist today. South Korea would be gone because North Korea's got that kind of capacity, uh, and they have a promise to use it. And you know that they're crazy enough to do so. So you wonder, you wonder, what is the point? Mike Pence in Pyongyang yesterday says uh, the point is this. Don't test us or we're going to fight fire back. North Korea would do well not to test his resolve or the strength of the armed forces of the United States in this region. And sure, we have asked China to help. That's why Donald Trump totally flip-flopped on China manipulating our currency. He even tweeted out over the weekend, how can I criticize them for manipulating our currency when they're helping us with North Korea? And again, Mike Pence, with this scary talk, if China doesn't, we will. The president and I have great confidence that China will properly deal with North Korea. But as President Trump made clear just a few short days ago, if China is unable to deal with North Korea, the United States and our allies will. We will. And he says, you know, yeah, patience. Now, we've run out of patience. Over the past 18 months, North Korea has conducted two unlawful nuclear tests and an unprecedented number of ballistic missile tests, even conducting a failed missile launch as I traveled here for this visit. The era of strategic patience is over. So what is with all this saber rattling in North Korea? I mean, is this, do they really, do Trump, does Trump and Pence, do they really think that this is going to scare Kim Jong-un into abandoning his nuclear, uh, his quest for the nuclear missile, which, by the way, they probably already have. Now they just need a missile that can carry that nuclear bomb to our shores. Uh, this is a very, very serious situation, obviously, uh, but it, it, it I, I would argue um, that getting China involved and getting some talks involved was the way to go, not to think we can scare them militarily by sending the Navy in or by all this tough talk on the part of Mike Pence. But again, it's we've seen this pattern now with Donald Trump, that again, the military is just something with no consequences. They can fire off here, fire off there, boom, 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 boom. Uh, nothing's going to happen. It's not that easy. It doesn't work that way. There's no strategy. There's no plan. There's no context at all. This this kind of uh, military action, um, easy military action, and and repeated military action all around the globe uh, is dangerous and it is scary. And one final point: it contradicts everything that Donald Trump said about American foreign policy when he was a candidate. Remember? 
He was the guy who went around saying, no, we shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be involved in this. We shouldn't interfere in that. We shouldn't be bombing them. No, we should just be America first. And if there's no direct threat to our homeland, we shouldn't be doing anything. I was saying he was right or wrong. All I'm saying this is exact. He's delivering the exact opposite militarily of what he promises a candidate. Yeah. And doing so with some regularity now. Like, we can argue that the bombing in Syria, the, the sort of the first move that he pulled off, might have been a smart move. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't look like they did much. But in terms of like a retaliation to the using yeah. chemical weapons, okay, we can have that argument. But there were so many Trump supporters that got off of the Trump train after that. They were furious that we had gone into another country and bombed. That's They did not vote for that. They did not want that. And so now that we're talking about Afghanistan, Yemen, I'm North Korea, you. the Trump supporters who were in this who said we can't continue to be the world's policemen. Yeah. Well, yeah. they're going to they're, they're in for a rude awakening because so far the only thing that's gotten Trump good coverage, good press is war. He Whether, see, but he sees that, he knows that, he's going to do more of it. I'm telling you, mark my words. We're going to bomb North Korea. Trump is going to bomb North Korea and God save the republic. God save us all if that happens. One other big announcement came on Friday. The White House deliberately uh, waiting until Friday, Good Friday, Easter weekend, to announce that they are not going to respond to requests, freedom of information requests, to release the visitor logs from the White House and Mar-a-Lago. Again, this is a total contradiction to what Donald Trump talked about as a candidate, where he constantly badgered. President Obama, because the Obama administration was fighting uh, uh, the request for release of all visitor logs, uh, Donald Trump said, what does the President Obama have to hide? What does he have to hide? Now he's doing just the opposite. In fact, Donald Trump is making the Obama administration look like an open book. We know that President Obama promised the most transparent administration in history didn't quite deliver that. He didn't want to have to release visitor logs, but he finally agreed to do so, and he did. Yeah, they kept back uh, the names of people who came to Michelle and Barack's little parties, social parties, you understand that. Their friends did not release those names. And once in a while, like a Supreme Court justice or somebody for some really top-secret meeting came in, they kept those aside. But otherwise, they released every couple of months or so, they would release another batch of all the people who came into the executive office, meaning the White House grounds, 18 acres, the old executive office building, and the White House itself. They released over 6 million names of the Obama administration. Donald Trump is saying they're not going to release one single name, not at the White House, not at Mar-a-Lago, not at Camp David if he ever went there. They're not going to release them. Get this. Not until five years after Donald Trump leaves the White House. And they say they can't release those names for national security reasons. It would be it would violate our national security or jeopardize our national security if we knew who was going in and out of the White House. You know what? That's a great big B.S. And I wish I could say it uh, right here. <laughs> Uh, because that's exactly what there is no no national security reason here whatsoever 
that we can't know the names. Again, if they're very, very, very top secret things, sure, they can redact those or whatever you call it. But the names of most of the people going in and out of the White House every day, uh, not just reporters, we are listed, but anybody else is coming in. And I see a lot of them as I go in and out of the White House. I run into people who are going in for meetings. This is, look, you know, the bottom line is, to me, this is the people's house. This is our house. We have a right to know who's going in and out of our house and whom they are meeting with. By the way, and you know who was the toughest on Barack Obama demanding he releases visitor logs? Breitbart News. And now the former head of Breitbart, Steve Bannon in at Donald Trump's side, and they're shutting down the doors. They're putting a shroud of secrecy over the White House. This was blasted, by the way, by um, as soon as the White House announced it, by conservative organizations. Judicial Watch said this is outrageous and by liberal organizations as well. Media Matters for America, uh, Center for American Progress and all denounced it right away. The ACLU denounced it. It is just, um, again, treating the White House as a top secret uh, property. Um, Bad news, bad news. But just like his tax returns, Donald Trump won't release them, shrouding the White House in secrecy again. It uh, looks like on our way to the least transparent administration ever, again, making Barack Obama's White House look like an open book. Hey, want to catch you up to date on one other uh, story that we talked about last time we were together on, uh, by the way, thanks to Jimmy Williams for being here on Friday. Last time we were together on Thursday, we talked about this uh, horrific scene that was just about to uh, roll out in the state of Arkansas, where because one of the drugs that they use in that lethal mix of cocktails used for the death penalty in Arkansas, the license on it would run out, will run out by the end of April. So they had scheduled seven executions in the next 10 days. Uh, well, a judge on uh, over the weekend said, nope, that is not going to happen if it is such uh, an, a, an ineffective and maybe even harmful drug, then uh, we're not going to let it be used again, not just to get to squeeze them in before the end of April. So the Arkansas killing spree, which we uh, talked about and complained about and condemned, uh, is not going to happen. Saved once again by the courts. Well, I don't know what you did yesterday, or over the weekend rather, Saturday. April 15, but hope wherever you live, you were able to take part in one of the many, 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 I think there are over 100 protest marches uh, to demand that Donald Trump release his tax returns. Uh, they were um, even even in the shadow of Mar-a-Lago. Here's a marcher down there in uh, Palm Beach, Florida, we why want, I'm here. We want him to release his taxes, to show his taxes, to show if he paid any taxes, to show who he owes money to. That's the reason we're here. Yep, here. You can tell I don't think he came from Palm I don't think Beach. he's native Floridian, no. I don't no. think he's a native Floridian, no, no, no. no. Uh, and here in Washington, D.C., perhaps the biggest march of all, the big one in New York as well, in uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, here in Washington, D.C., Senator, Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon. We are taking the gloves off to say... Knock off 
the secrecy, Mr. President, and publicly release your own tax returns. Yeah, and you do have to wonder, just like the visitor logs, what is he trying to hide? What is he trying to hide in his tax returns? And again, uh, contradicting a promise that he made. At one point he said, as soon as the audit's over, I'm going to release my tax returns. Yeah, we knew he wasn't. Uh, he never did as a candidate. Uh, first president in over 40, first presidential candidate in over 40 years not to do so. And he has not done so, of course, as president. And by the way, he won't. He won't. No, of course not. No, because he doesn't want us to know all the business deals that he's got going with Russia and all the money he owns Russia banks, Russian banks. Um, also, a voice we haven't heard in a long time at the Washington March, the Reverend uh, Jesse Jackson, the crowd, keep hope alive, Jesse Jackson. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. I like that. The remix. Pay your taxes. Keep hope alive. Yeah. And remember uh, the. Pay your taxes. There you go. Remember the nuns on the bus, Sister Simone Campbell. She herself was there also at the rally yesterday. We the people care about our tax policy and about what our president does with his tax return. We the people know we should be able to see it. Yes, indeed, uh, Sister Simone. There she is. In other words, yeah. pay your taxes. In pay other your taxes. Words. In other words, pay your taxes, right. And of course, um, there have been uh, a lot there's been a lot of attention yesterday. The New York Times had a great piece on this yesterday. It's just worth talking about the the White House denies that there's any change in position. Donald Trump, he's not. No, uh, he he may have evolved a little bit. That was a famous Barack Obama word. But that, don't say that Donald Trump has changed any positions. Are you kidding? It, it is. It's hard to keep up with. Right. It's like watching a ping pong match back and forth. Your head going back and forth. Watching Donald Trump change on so many positions. I'm sure. I'm sure we're going to miss a few. Uh, But if you've been keeping track, uh, they include uh, in no particular order, right? Now, the um, labor statistics that come out uh, at the end of, um, at the beginning of every month for the month before, those unemployment numbers, uh, yeah, they were phony under President Obama, but they're real now. Okay. All right. That's just one little thing. Um, How about NATO? NATO... Donald Trump himself said this. I used to say that NATO is obsolete. Uh, now, no, NATO is no longer uh, uh, obsolete. Uh, how about China? Yeah. China was raping the United States. China manipulating our currency. We were going to get even with China. They were going to be They were going to be there. Now, President Xi is Donald Trump's best friend. They had chocolate cake together at Mar-a-Lago. And now he even, again, he tweeted over the weekend, why should I attack uh, North China? They're our friend now. They're going to help us with North Korea. They haven't done squat, by the way. But Donald Trump says, no, they will. They're going to help us. Total flip-flop on China. The Export-Import Bank, as a candidate, he said, got to shut it down. Shut it down. Doesn't serve any purpose. I'm against it. And now he suddenly said, no, uh, the Export-Import Bank, I like it. Does a lot of good stuff. I want it to stay. Same thing with uh, Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen, head of the Federal Reserve. 
Uh, Donald Trump said Barack Obama should fire her. And if I'm elected president, I will fire her. Last week, Donald Trump said, no, I like Janet Yellen. I think she should stay. I think she should stay on the job. Uh, That's five. Syria. Syria. Uh, Beginning of last week or the week before, Bashar al-Assad should stay in power. Our our goal is no longer to get rid of uh, the president of Syria. Now, Bashar al-Assad's got to go. There can be no solution in Syria. I think they're right about this now, but I'm just pointing out, big change of position as long as Assad is there. Uh, he's got to go. Uh, how about who pays for the wall, right? Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Mexico, that's that's the whole campaign. Now, who's going to pay for the wall? You and I are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, American taxpayers are. It goes on visitor logs. I, as I pointed out a little bit just a little while ago, President Obama, he attacked President Obama, condemned President Obama for not releasing the White House visitor logs. Now he says that he will. He will not do so. Uh, himself. And so what's, what's, it's just impossible to keep up with. What's so remarkable to me about all these things is that he's never answering to why he's flopping on these, right? Like he's not answering to as to why he's changed his mind. No, no. You know, the wall is a perfect example. He th- That was a cornerstone of his campaign that Mexico was going to pay for this wall. And then immediately... After becoming president, he puts a bud. Like he puts the 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 line item in there for the wall inside of our budget, and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell both acknowledge, "Oh yeah, we're going to pay for the wall." So it was never even. Well, this is why I've changed on this. It's just a flat out, just total change of policy. But here's no why. Here's why it's significant, I believe, because you never know whether to believe anything Trump says. You n- you never know whether that's really where he stands or whether it could change tomorrow. And imagine world leaders trying to follow what direction the new administration is going in. It's impossible. It's impossible because it does change from day to day. Uh, and finally, we're going to talk um, sports with Travis Waldron from Huffington Post in the next half hour. Before we get there, I hope you caught Saturday Night, uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh, there were several good sketches, but none better than uh, Melissa McCarthy again back in her Easter Bunny suit as Sean Spicer and, of course, talking about his big gaffe last week where he denied for a second uh, that uh, Hitler ever used uh, chemical weapons during World War II. And then he remembered, oh, yeah, he did that at those uh, Holocaust centers. Here's Melissa McCarthy, Sean Spicer. And, yeah, I know they're not really called Holocaust centers. Duh. I know that. I'm aware. I clearly meant to say concentration Clubs. Okay. <laughs> what a drop. It would be really great if the nitpickers could try to see the big picture and didn't solely focus on every little slur and lie I say. That'd be nice. And P.S. Like y'all sort of know, I am sensitive to the fact that they were sent there on trains, but hey, at least they didn't have to fly United. Am I right? <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, a.k.a. Spicy, Sean Spicer, Travis Waldron, Huffington Post Sports, coming in next here. The Bill Press Show, stay with us. This is The Bill Press Show. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show.
Here we go on a Monday, April 17, uh, the day after Easter. We'll welcome everybody. It is the Bill Press Show. We're booming out to you live, coast to coast, all part of the Young Turks Network, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV and with you in the great Chicago area, thanks to WCPT. Thanks so much for joining us as we tackle the big stories of the day, brought to you today by Amalgamated Bank. Yes, a bank with progressive values. Uh, it's not a contradiction in terms. For almost a century now, Amalgamate has been the leading bank of choice for progressive organizations and individuals nationwide. So check it out, amalgamatedbank.com, uh, and make it your bank of choice as well. Anywhere in the country, we all do our banking online these days. Anyhow, you can bank at Amalgamated be a proud progressive at the same time. It's amalgamatedbank.com. Uh, what a big, huge day for the Nationals yesterday here in Washington, D.C. Nobody happier to see that um, walk-off home run at the very end <laughs> than our good friend Travis Waldron from Huffington Sports. Hello, Travis. How are you the doing? The only person happier than you was probably my wife, Carol, who was. was yeah. yeah. Was it's just thrilled. Excited. You know, I love seeing good things happen to the Nationals. <laughs> I know you do, right? That's yeah. why I'm rubbing it in. Yeah. But, uh, good to see you. Uh, nice to see you, too. <laughs> Haven't come in in a while, and this uh, is what uh, I get. This this welcome back. Get. <laughs> <laughs> so, baseball season underway. What's your take? What's your look? Uh, well, the are Braves are still bad. Braves are still bad. So, I don't, don't want to mention the Braves without you uh, mentioning it. Yeah, I think right. they have the second worst record in baseball so far. So, <laughs> to that. Yeah. About what expected. Um, I don't know. I think it's a great year. We'll mm-hmm. see. The Cubs try to do it again. And try to do it again. My right. fantasy team's off to a hot start. Oh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, and then that's a little rocky start. A little huh? bit, but they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They're They're a good team. They're kind of figuring out the lineup and... I thought they looked good yesterday. I still, I still think they have the same problems with their pitching that they had last season. Well, the bullpen, the bullpen is terrible. Yeah. The bullpen yeah. still rough. It's, so. like, it's, it's like they've got to hit, they got to get five runs every game, <laughs> right? Or else the oh. pitching will blow it for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're trying to help the Nats by keeping Peter Ogburn away from the Nats stadium. <laughs> I was there for one win. Oh. <laughs> I, I was I was there for one loss and one win this season. So. Uh, doing all right on my black cloud. And, uh, and not that we're just talking about the hometown teams, but. Wizards in the playoffs. Wizards in the playoffs. What to know? Yeah, right. Big win yesterday. That one I'm happy about. Oh, okay, good. I love the Wizards. And where does that love go? John Wall? I don't even know who else is. I think they've got a good chance to to run to make a run. We'll see. They haven't made the conference finals in Lord knows how long. Yeah, I wasn't alive. I don't think <laughs> um, they get out, they get out of this series with the Hawks. I think. I think that they'll yeah, definitely I think so. make it out of this. And the Celtics lost last night? Yeah, the Celtics lost. Oh. That's one of the reasons Jamie's not here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think I think they have a chance to make a run. But I still think it's going to be Cavs and the Cavs and the Warriors in the finals again. Mm-hmm. Just like every year now. I'm sorry, you said the Cavs and the Spurs? Yeah, the Warriors. Oh, know? the Warriors. I thought you meant the Spurs. No, I didn't misspeak there, Peter. I don't know, man. I don't see the Warriors repeating and going back to the final. I think that they're going to hit a, uh, a, a, a speed bump here. Maybe. I know you'd like that, but I, I you know I'd like that. I don't yeah. think it's going to happen. Uh, all right, they well, blew away the Trailblazers last night. So I mean, it's not like they're in major. This the, 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 the Warriors, the Warriors, Warriors yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Um, I, I saw that you um, have been following, um, and I'm glad somebody's following the U.S. women's hockey and right. soccer too. Right, but some big news going on there. Yeah, right? so they both were involved in equal pay fights, fair pay fights. The Women's soccer team, it's been going on for 
a year now, and they finally got some of it resolved and got a new collective bargaining agreement, which is good, uh, that raised their pay and, and got some better benefits for them. Uh, I think the, the actual equal pay complaint is still processing in the Equal Opportunity Commission, so could still see more on that front, but a big kind of off-the-field win for them. Uh, and then the hockey team threatened but, 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 but stick to sucker just okay. a second. So how does that work? I mean, who do they appeal to? And, and who, I mean, who decides? Is it the owners? or No, it's the U.S. Soccer Federation. So the governing <laughs> body in the, in the country that they kind of contract with. And the U.S. Uh, Soccer the Federation uh, covers men's teams? Covers, and covers the men's. Men uh, and women? Uh-huh. And so they have, they each negotiate their own collective bargaining agreement. So the pay structure is a little complicated, but uh, the women wanted also like equal benefits and different things. They didn't quite get to equal pay, but they got raises. So they were happy with it and finally got it done. Yeah. Well, finally got it done, meaning they made some progress. Right. Right. But they haven't reached equality yet. No, no. What is the justification for not having equal pay? Well, everybody says that they they don't generate as much revenue. So, you know, which I think is a bad argument because how can you generate as much revenue when you've never been, women's sports have never been given the chance to to actually generate the sort of revenue men do. You know, we've only had a women's national soccer team in this country for 30 years. Mm-hmm. We've only we've only had a league for ten, and the first two failed, or fifteen. The first two failed. Now we're we're in year five. Just started year five this weekend of the National Women's Soccer League. So they're making progress on and off the field. If you ever get a chance, you should go up see the spirit. Peter well, and I. Come on, man! I got uh, no, I know, I know. It's right I, near my house. I, I know. Yeah, and I I know you're a big a big supporter of theirs, but I think it's sort of like a chicken and an egg, right? Yeah, maybe I mean, if you pay them bigger salaries, right? right. It's like and, you have to and give they them, become bigger stars. Right, more people will show up to see if them, you if right? you invest in it the way you've yeah, invested yeah. in men. That's they the, can that's do the, it. I mean, they're a great team too. They've won three World Cups now. Yeah, I mean the the women's soccer team here is you can make the argument they're a better team than the men's national soccer team. I mean, they're a very very good team. They've certainly been more dominant. Right. And so, like, yeah, absolutely. It's it's insane to me that there's this uh, uh, gap between the men and the women's soccer team. It's crazy. I, I know. I mean, it, it's obviously not just in the the field of sports where right, right. we haven't achieved equality. But you would think it would it'd be nice if sports would take the lead and show. Yeah, this I mean, is the that's way sort we of what it. they argue right. too. And, and yeah. there were senators who joined this fight. You know, really? Yeah, yeah. there were Patty Murray and some others that you know held hearings or released statements and. Asked for documents and said, hey, like, you know, everybody knows the U.S. women's national team now, especially after they after, won the World Cup two summers right, ago. Right. You know, they're, like, they're trying, they're doing this fight, they're leading it for everybody. And, you know, it's kind of a good symbol of the, the ongoing equal pay fight, as you mentioned. Right. Well, it would be good. Uh, let me just uh, throw this out there. If they would play at RFK, I'd go to the games. Because I could walk to the stadium. (laughs) (laughs) You have a car. (laughs) I do. I I do. I could walk to the stadium, too. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So then the hockey uh, are fighting the same battle. Yeah, the women's hockey team, uh, what, three weeks ago, a month ago now, threatened to boycott the World Championship Tournament uh, unless they made substantial progress in uh, wage negotiations. They were also looking for a contract. And uh, so, so there's a hockey federation, I guess, yes. as well, right? Say, yeah, Which, same sort of yeah. structure generally. And they were fighting with them. And two days before the tournament, they 
finally got a deal that the Federation had threatened to use replacement players. All the women that they called said no. They were all standing together. Hmm. Um, wow, really? Yeah, yeah, I think they said they made over, they were making over a hundred calls to players in the in the international pool, telling them, "Don't do it. Don't. You know, you have to stand with us. We have to win this." And they, I think they got down to even calling like college, like low level college players, and they were telling them no. <laughs> um, yeah. So they they got a deal that increased pay to I think with the what the money they make from the Olympics, they could make around seventy thousand a year, which is a whole lot more than what they were making. Um, but for like, uh, uh, yeah, you know, that's seventy thousand a, a year. I'm, look, there are a lot of people who do not make seventy thousand a year. But in terms of, if you're talking about major league players, right? I mean, some of the guys get that in a day. one inning, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but but you know, I mean, there, the women's hockey uh, stuff is a little bit behind where women's soccer is. It hasn't hasn't grown as fast, hasn't had the opportunity to. But I think uh, this will give it a chance to. This will kind of bolster. It'll raise awareness that they exist and and that they're fighting this fight too. And and then they went and won. Mm. They got to the yeah. tournament two days before, and then they won. Hell uh, yeah! So I they love beat, that. Yeah, they beat Canada in the uh, final in overtime. It was great, and you know I talked to three of them in New York last week, and they said it was just like the perfect way. I mean, they've won. Oh, I yeah. think this was their yeah. fourth straight one, but they said this one was a lot sweeter because they had they had won the battle off the ice. They had little mm-hmm. girls. They said they had little girls coming up to them saying, "Thank you for doing this for me," and so it was pretty cool. It was a it's a cool story. We don't talk a lot about women's hockey, but like it's, it's coming on. You know, like it's it's really out there. Yeah, they're, 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 and 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 especially younger kids are playing right. more hockey, now. and they have a league now too. So that's awesome. They have a, I think a four, I think it's four teams right now, all up in the Northeast. I was gonna say mm-hmm. we don't have a team here. Do no, yeah, no, I think they're all in like New York, Boston, up that way. Um, so it's growing. You know, we're getting there. Well, you say it's out there. It's pretty far out there. That's the problem, right. isn't it? Well, I mean, right? hockey here is hockey here is out there. <laughs> yeah, even, I know. Even I know. on the men's side, you know, there's I know. Right. depending on where you're no. from. You know, I, I didn't. There was nowhere for me to play hockey when I was a kid. No, I was so, going to so, ask you that. There are two sports that we talk about: hockey and soccer. Will they ever break? Soccer through? already has. Soccer already has. Do you think so? Yep. Boy, I, you know. I always hope that it will. We're in a, we're in year twenty of the men's league, year five of the or year like twenty four of the men's league now. But it's still true that the world cup gets, gets all huge excited for the world cup. Yeah, it gets huge. But the, huge the English and league, then people just forget about it. But we have this we get, country. We get every English match on TV on the weekends. There's a match today that you can watch three o'clock. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're gonna watch it, Bill. Three o'clock. We right. get every. We get. Well, every, why do I care about the British soccer team? Because it's. A, <laughs> It's the best league in the world. So they so, care. They care so, about our football and our basketball. No. Yeah. Yeah, no. they do. The really? NFL does huge. We play games in over in England. Okay, now. but I, what I was saying is, NFL I don't. If, I don't. It's a global uh, world, Bill. Well, all right, <laughs> Travis. <laughs> of course, the globalist would come in here. How dare we come in here? We're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about globalism now. <laughs> From now on, he's just going to represent me with the emoji. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, no, if I'm ever going to, if Americans are ever going to get excited about soccer, it's they going already to be about, have. It's going to be about American teams. It's no. not going to be about Manchester. But Travis, when Bill talks about Americans getting excited about soccer, he's talking about Bill Press right. getting excited right. about soccer. No, soccer not, is soccer is huge. Don't on me. I'm not. I'm hardly the only American who's not. I love watching soccer, but I'm just saying it right. hasn't really caught on as a national sport, you don't, you know... 
see people turning out for the uh, whatever the American equivalent of the World Series is. If, if your point is, and it's, I hear what you're saying. If they, we don't tune into the finals of the men's league soccer. Right. The way that we tune into the Super Bowl. You're right. We don't. Super Bowl or the World Series. But like the European Champions League final. Or even turn final, out to the, to the games. I don't know how the, many people But the European the Champions games. League final does huge ratings in the United States, though. On TV. People are watching this. <laughs> I'm a skeptic. I'm a skeptic. But, uh, so you think, uh, uh, Travis, you're wrong. Soccer is <laughs> not broken through the way yes, the NFL and Well, and, nothing's and, broken. If you're comparing and, and, it to the and, NFL, and then Major no. League Baseball compare, Nothing's broken through compared to the NFL. Right. Even your favorite TV show hasn't broken through compared to the NFL. True, true. Like, it's the best rated thing on TV. All right. Soccer's come a long way, but it's still got a long way to go. Wouldn't you agree? In terms sure, of... we can agree on that. Okay, all right, but it'll get the way, there. I, this British stuff, forget about it. No, forget about it's it. the best. The French or the Germans or the British, yeah, they're probably the best players in the world. But I don't think Americans. The are. Mexican league is also really entertaining. I'm sure, and it's on TV. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> we get the German league. You get the French and Italian leagues. You can watch. You can watch more soccer. You can watch soccer every day of the year if you want to. Here's what I think we should do. I think we should have a field trip. Bill, you and Travis can come on up. We'll go see a spirit game. Right? You'll see how many people. People there. People are maniacs at those yep. games. It's full every night. Sure. Uh, all right. All right. I'm on. I'm on. I hear what but, you're saying. It it has not broken through the way that a lot of big sports have, but there is a very sizable crowd for soccer. Right. Now. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking about like you bars, right? You're going to a bar. You're going to a, there are bars in D.C. that market themselves as soccer bars. Soccer bars. Okay. People go at like 10 a.m. to watch the games on Saturdays and Sundays. And by people, I certainly don't mean me. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well, and hockey. Uh, yeah, I think hockey's going to be niche. I'm always. trying to get into it. Hockey but has always been niche. Yeah, and think? it just takes place at a weird time. It's it's always like the third sport on. Because you have college basketball and the NBA that run concurrently. Yeah. It starts during football. It ends during baseball. You know the other I thing. I mean, the playoffs are great. I love the Stanley Cup playoffs. but Right. It's a, I mean, I think there's places where hockey's huge, obviously. But I, I don't think it'll ever get to even where the NBA and baseball are. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other thing about hockey that seems that anybody I know whose kids have played hockey, it's always, like, at 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Why it's is really that? expensive, Why is, too. Yeah. I was going to say, the, the access to it is, right. is kind of like golf time. in the sense that, like, you have to really make an investment. Right. It's some pretty expensive equipment to really well, get Well, like, there's only, I think there's only, like, one rink in D.C. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking, you know, it's really hard to get ice time. Mm-hmm. How, how do you practice? You know, you can't just like pads and skates, and, right? And sticks. It's not and... something you can just do in your backyard, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it's yeah. cool to see the women's side growing, though. I know. No, I I think it's great. Um, and so we'll um, we'll see how those two sports develop. Speaking of hockey, really quickly before we go too far off, are, yeah. the, are the Capitals actually going to make it out of? Um... <laughs> <laughs> make it to the Stanley Cup. Every final. year I try to get into hockey yeah. because of the Capitals. Yeah. Because they're good. Yeah. And then they f- they fall apart. In Completely. The- and they're already looking like they They might. look terrible. Yeah, they've played terrible in both games. Yeah. I- it's really sad. It, Bill, you have to understand that the Capitals were the best team in hockey last year. Yep. They were the best team in hockey this year. They've been the best team in hockey a couple years. And they get to the playoffs. 
And they can never finish. They yep. can never, ever, ever win in the playoffs. It's, it's just, it's sad. Pathetic. It's horrible. It, but it's all DC teams. That's what we do. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So <laughs> fall apart in the playoffs. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Can't deliver. Yep. I know. How many times have we seen the Nats get to the playoffs <laughs> oh. and then uh, and then and knock it out? So whatever happened to Kurt Schilling? Oh man, <laughs> that was months, so months of my that. life. I'll never get back. <laughs> How so? Oh uh, well, well, you know, Kurt Schilling, former Red Sox, prior to the Boston Red Sox, prior, yeah, yes, and now is kind of a. I, we all remember. I can say, I can say that because Jamie's not here. Now oh, he's right. a, now he's. But a, we remember. I, I remember. Look, I'm not a big sports fan, but I never forget. You know, he, when he pitched, the and he had the bloody sock. Yeah, and now he's a Breitbart radio host. Oh my God! <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. No, did you? Yeah. no. So, uh, yeah. So he's. I know he's a right winger. Yeah, but Breitbart, that's a different level I mean, of right. Yeah, that is. That's alt right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did he get from there to here? Well, from that's here to there. The, so I mean, the story was basically, uh, you know, he. Long story short, he he retired. He was he was mad at the Red Sox over how he retired, how he went out. Uh, he he started a video game company and that collapsed. Um, Lincoln Chafee got in a pretty public battle with Lincoln Chafee, uh, the governor of Rhode Island, mm-hmm. over the money. There was a taxpayer loan, but it collapsed. Uh, then he got fired from ESPN for sharing an anti-transgender oh, yeah. meme. Yeah. And so, you know, my theory on this is that he is sort of, you know, all the uh, sociological and research that people have been talking about of, of the angry, aggrieved white male. Hmm. That reared its head in this election. That he and really represents. It, I huh? think he's he's you know I I don't think it's fair to say that he represents sort of like the whole you know Republican voter base or anything. But there's a segment of that, you know that that I think he he's certainly a part of, or seems to be a part of. He right. wouldn't talk to me. So. Uh, and how he how do you wind his way to go from ESPN to Breitbart? Well, he says it's a natural progression. But, uh, <laughs> it's a natural progression in the sense that he got fired and needed a job, so yeah. someone hired him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always been kind of a radio guy. He always called into Boston area radio shows. Mm-hmm. But you know, I listen to the show. It's it's not very good. And is you it, know, because some of those some of those shows, some of those those people, even if you don't agree with them, yeah, they're pretty uh, good entertainers. Yeah, look at Rush Limbaugh, right? I mean, like Rush know, or Glenn Beck or. You know, some of those people that were pretty entertaining in his show, which is weird because he was, I always really liked him as a baseball analyst when he was at ESPN, but I don't think he, I don't know. Yeah. So at Breitbart, is he doing sports he's, commentary? No, he's doing his, he's doing a political radio show. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Where he uh, routinely, I haven't listened to it in a while, but when I was listening to it, he, it was right before the election, a little bit after. And it was, I mean, it was basically, Breitbart bingo. Mm-hmm. Like immigrants, Muslims, <laughs> yeah. you know, women, li- liberals. Is he still running for office? He was going to. Well, he that suggested was... that he would, but but I don't think he is. I, he was going to run against Liz Warren in 2018, is what he said, but now it seems. I talked to some people in Massachusetts, and they said they haven't seen any, like, like any campaign infrastructure or fundraising or anything, so. Like he had one campaign event, remember, and something, or, or maybe he was stumping for somebody else, but he showed up. And yeah, for only, Trump, there were only like ten people that yeah. showed up. Yeah, it was in Boston. Yeah, to see the pride of the Boston Red Sox. Right, ten uh, people showed up. Whoa, yeah, 
He's kind of lost it, you know, and lost lost that glamour that was around him. I mean, he was a hero to people up there. He was always kind of outspoken and brash. No, at that one moment with the bloody sock, I mean, he could yeah. Run I mean, for, he, he, he could run for president, right? I mean, he, he was yeah. yeah I mean, he was he was big enough in Boston to do whatever he wanted. And people people have been talking about him running for office there for since two thousand nine. He just, almost ran in the race that Scott Brown ended up winning. Uh huh. Yeah. But just think of this. I mean, you know, he's at Breitbart, so next he could be a chief advisor to <laughs> president of the United right. States. You never know. Right? There's, that's the progression. That's, yeah. Maybe that's where he's heading. Right. But maybe that's why well, I took All the, things are possible that's what, maybe in this why new I world. took the Breitbart job, yeah. yeah. Speaking of losers and whatever happened to them, whatever happened to Tim Tebow? Oh, he's playing minor league baseball. He's in, saw, he's in no, single A I, yeah, down in uh, right. Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> it's pretty great. You know, he's had to hit a couple home runs. Really? Yeah. But when he tried to hit against, I think it was Max Scherzer. Yeah. In spring training. It was pretty hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Scherzer took him out. It was very close your eyes and hope. (laughs) And his hopes did not. No. They didn't materialize. So he goes from. (laughs) (laughs) Who was he? Wasn't he on the NFL? One team put him on as a a provisional kind of thing. Yeah. well, he went from the, what was he, the Broncos to the Jets to the Patriots? Yeah, the yeah. Patriots. That was who it was. The Patriots it. picked him up. And then they cut him. Very short period. Yeah, right. And then he was doing TV for yeah. ESPN and decided he wanted to play baseball. Broncos to the Jets. Yeah, it was the Patriots. And the Mets signed him. Right. And now he's- is the, he, He's not going to make it to the major leagues, is he, Travis? No. Yeah, I didn't he's 29 so. years old. He hit like yeah. 115 in short yeah. season ball last year. Yeah. What, but, so, but hey, go get it, man. I, I know, but what stuns me is the guy- I mean, he's just known for again, like Kurt Schilling is known for the bloody sock. Great to get attention for getting down his knees and praying to Jesus because he hit a home run or whatever. Wait, does he Tebow during baseball games? No, no, I don't think so. They're hard to watch on TV. (laughs) Yeah, I believe that. The Columbia crawl dads, (laughs) whatever they are. But I mean, to me, he just—they don't have a big ESPN contract. No. (laughs) He seems like such a. I should talk, but he seems like it sucks. Such a second-rate athlete, and yet people—I know he's people still got a career. He's still people love him. What the evangelicals just love sure, him because yeah, of this Jesus people, thing, right? Other people love to hate him, so you get you get the kind of double whammy of yeah. But that that doesn't get you. Put a story about him on the internet. Right. You'd be up. amazed at how far out of my way I will go to read about Tim Tebow purely because I hate him. But I hated him before he turned into like I Jesus. You hated him because he, he was before. a Florida guy, right? Oh, yeah. All right, I understand that, but why would teams hire him if he can't deliver? To if sell he can't, tickets. If he can't hit, or if he can't pitch, people will come or see if he him. can't run, or whatever. Because people will come see him. If he was to pitch here, on, or, 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 or to play here, and was Max Scherzer was pitching against him, I would go and watch that. I'd pay money to go and watch that, just to go watch him whiff at four at bats. Right. I'd, I'd watch that. But okay, well, when does it run out for him? Or has, I think this or has year. It run out? I think this year. We're close. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I don't think that's small. So, so you can you can get rid of your Tebow jerseys. Yeah, oh, you got to right? get down to Columbia soon. <laughs> He's in Columbia, South Carolina. I believe so. Yeah. Oh man, I'm gonna yeah. feel bad if that's not right because I've now said it like six times. I think that's right. Okay. Yeah, I've been to but, Columbia. Columbia's a nice town, uh, state capital, right? All right, yeah. Travis. We covered a lot of territory here. We a did. lot of losers. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much for thanks coming. Thanks for having in. me. All right. We can, uh, you can follow Travis at Huffington Post, HuffingtonPost.com, of course. 
Uh, what's going on? We're getting close to 100 days with Donald Trump. This Joel Payne joins us Bill next. Press show. Hey, what do you say? It is uh, the day after Easter and the day before deadline for paying those taxes. Yep, you have until uh, Tuesday midnight. Pay your taxes with a smile. Yes, be a proud American taxpayer. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, April 17. Good to see you today. The Bill Press Show booming out to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Yeah, the House and the Senate still out this week, but President Trump back in town, and he and the First Lady will be hosting the Easter egg roll at the White House today. Some 21,000, 22,000 people expected uh, to come in and join the uh, festivities, and we're uh, all uh, eager to see whether Press Secretary Sean Spicer as he did under President George W. Bush, will show up in the Easter Bunny outfit uh, this year. Uh, we'll let you know how that goes. Great to have you with us. We're looking at you on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, and also on Free Speech TV uh, from our studio right here on Capitol Hill. Uh, getting close to the 100-day mark of the Trump administration, just uh, shy of a week. So we want to look through how things are going so far with the help of uh, Joel Payne, who's here this hour as a friend of Bill, vice president from the Corvus MSL Group here in Washington and former director of African-American paid media and advertising in the Hillary for Hillary Clinton for America campaign. Hello, Joel. Bill, nice to see you. So good to be with you again. Everything good? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah. You're, you're surviving the 100 days am, so far. Huh? I'm surviving the 100 days. Um, you know, as uh, President Obama said, the, the sun will rise. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't say it would be quite this hot, but he did say the sun will rise. Yeah, uh, yeah that's about the only thing we can say maybe about the 100. The sun has come up and the sun has set every I was day. a little worried there because, like, the first three or four days of the Trump administration, it rained and it was cloudy. And it was, and I was Maybe Obama wasn't right. Maybe the sun's not coming back up. What but. are you talking about? The sun was shining during my <laughs> inauguration speech. That's right. Yes, right. That's right. It didn't rain on the inauguration no. day. And there were five million people there, too. Remember that. Period. Uh, <laughs> okay. Lots to talk about. We'll get right to it. But first. This is the Full Court bit. Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of the stories making news. We will start at the box office. Wow, wow, wow. Big numbers for the latest installment. Of the Fast and the Furious, this one is the fate yeah, of the about Furious. That. Yeah, what an opening weekend for them globally, open to five hundred thirty-two million dollars. Here in America, it made one hundred million dollars, which is not bad at all for an Easter weekend. So again, like I said, this is going to be a bigger opening number than Star Wars: The Force Awakens. It opened at five hundred twenty-nine million dollars globally, and like I said, fate of the Furious. Opening up at 532. Just gigantic, gigantic numbers. So, uh, big, big uh, news for the Fast and the Furious franchise. Not sure if this is going to be the last one or not, but uh, it's certainly a big one. So, there you go. I did. Uh, all right. Come. Uh, here's another story. United Airlines, not like they needed more bad news, but a bride and groom was heading to Costa Rica for their wedding, and they got kicked off of their flight. They were leaving Houston, going to Costa uh -oh. Rica. And what happened is they got to their seat. Somebody, were they dragged out? Well, no, they were they were escorted off by a U.S. air marshal. They got onto the flight, and they got to their seats, 
and someone was already napping in their seat, so they just moved up a couple of rows because the flight was half empty. So someone came to them from United and said, you have to get out of these seats, you have to go somewhere else. An airline, an air marshal handed them a note and said, come with me now. They were escorted off of the plane, and they missed the flight to their own wedding because no. United would not let them switch seats. Isn't that crazy? Uh if you're united, you just got to let some things slide, I think. I, 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 yeah, I think if you're united, you ought to be looking for a new CEO who's going to you know, get that airline back in shape here. Yeah. I mean, this is... It's not good. No. This on top of um, you know, the dragging the dock off the plane. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see if they have any money left after they settle that lawsuit. <laughs> The latest member of the Young Turks Network, live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It is the Bill Press Show on a Monday, Monday, April 17. Uh, hope you have a good Passover and a good Easter and uh, ready to dive into this whole new week with all the issues of the day. It is the Bill Press Show. We're part of the Young Turks Network and looking at you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, coast to coast, also coast to coast on Free Speech TV, and uh, all over the airwaves in Chicago on the great WCPT. Thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to hearing from you and your your take on the issues of the day. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Again, Joel Payne here with us from uh, Corvus, the Corvus Group, Corvus MSL Group, that's now called, uh, vice president there. So, Joel, we're... Um, about 100 days in, uh, I think next week is the actual 100-day deadline. Um, what do you see so far with this administration? Uh, Donald Trump, every time he turns around, basically, is talking about all the huge accomplishments that they have made. Um, what's, what's the reality? That doesn't pass a smell test. Look, if the president was really happy with what they did over these past 100 days, uh, he wouldn't be spending the last three weeks publicly trying to fire Steve Bannon. <laughs> Steve Bannon was the architect of this first 100 days. Uh, this was his agenda. And I think that that is the most telltale sign that this has been an absolute failure. Um, that might be the quickest uh, deposing of any senior strategist uh, we've ever seen in the modern White House. Um, I think that when you look at the rollout of the executive orders around the travel ban, I think when you look at um, the reaction to Neil Gorsuch and the fact that the Senate Republicans couldn't get enough support to not have to go nuclear, um, you look at some of the things overseas, uh, look at just what's happening with North Korea, where we're literally sitting here trying to make sure uh, we don't end up in war with North Korea. It it has not been a good 100 days for the president. Repeal of Obamacare. Repeal of Obamacare, uh, something near and dear to my heart. I mean, so this has not been a good 100 days for the president. No, and, you know, um, they've had a lot of meetings. Uh, he's had a lot of foreign visitors come through. Um, he's made a lot of phone calls, you know, uh, but again, and, and he signed a lot of executive orders. Yeah. Most of them were not worth the paper they were printed on. Right. I Absolutely. Mean, he, and, and so when you look at the actual, what did they, you know, what can they put up right on the, on his whiteboard as an actual scorecard, right? A, a win. It, 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 Gorsuch, you'd have to say is their only win, I believe. And even that, 
again was not a huge to, win. I mean, what did he have to do? They had fifty-two votes in yes. the Senate. All they they broke, they changed. The only yes. way they could get it was to change yes. the rules. Yeah, but Trump didn't have to do anything. No, absolutely. And you know, when you look at this president and and you look at his political brand, it's winning. That's his mojo, right? It's I can win. I and no one else can do this. So this has, you can tell, it has actually personally deflated him a lot. Um, maybe that's why he's spending so much time down in Mar-a-Lago, um, which is, I guess, where I would go if I was uh, not happy <laughs> right, with what's right. going on in D.C. But his brand is so tied to winning, and he has done none of that. Uh, he's not fought, uh, come through on any of his promises to do any of the things that he said he's going to do. He's attempted to, but he just he can't. Um, and he's proven to be a really inept leader so far. Right. Um, let's talk about uh, health care because it goes back and forth. When the Obamacare thing failed, um, he said, okay, basically, let's move on, move on to something else, right? We tried. We failed. And then he's, and then it comes back, and then they, he sends Mike Pence up to the Hill, spending two days trying to get everybody together. And they say, no, we're going to do it. We're going to come back. We're going to try again. Well, then that didn't work, and they left again. And now even last week it was um, health care is back on the agenda as number one. Are they, are they really going to take a, another run at it, and do you think it will be any more successful? It was such a flaming disaster the first time they took a run yeah. at it. I mean, yeah. and he's now gotten to the point where he's trying to blackmail Democrats into working with him. That's, that's probably got to be a first uh, to have a president that actually tries to blackmail Democrats into working with him by withholding state payments to Medicaid, I believe it was, uh, for the bill. No, I, I don't think so. And I think the problem really has nothing to do with Democrats or with progressives. It's got to do with his own caucus. Was there anybody who was behind that bill? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at moderate Democrats, they weren't comfortable, or rather Republicans, they weren't comfortable with it. You look at the Tea Party slash Freedom Caucus, they weren't comfortable with it. You look at his populist base, uh, they didn't like it. They didn't like what it was going to do. They want Obamacare. Um, one thing I will say the president has done, he has managed to make Obamacare very popular. Uh, in 100 days. So maybe we can add that to his list of accomplishments. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, clearly, if he wanted to work with Democrats, um, the Democrats are willing to work with him to fix Obamacare, Yeah, uh, which would be what I think they ought to be all about because there's so many good parts to Obamacare. Sure. And you can make it a lot stronger, public plan option, you know, work on the price of uh, prescription drugs and, uh, and, and, and make sure premiums do not soar, do not go up as... Right. So lots of things you could do with Obamacare, which Democrats are willing to do. Yeah. But in terms of repeal. Uh, no, no, no. They, and, 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 and they shouldn't. And it's because, look, and, and President Obama was so prescient with this. This is a this Obamacare is something that over time um, people will begin to rely upon the same way you think about Social Security. You think the same way you think about Medicaid, uh, Medicare. These are programs that people rely on. This is saving lives. This is this is keeping people um, off the streets. This is keeping people uh, from going broke because they're trying to keep their families um, healthy and, and, and make sure they've got the best care. So um, I think that President Trump is finding out that uh, President Obama was more effective, a more effective legislator than he thought. And also legislating in general is hard. Hasn't he said that a couple times? Yeah. Uh, you know, legislating. This is really hard. Um, I had no no one knew. No one knew that healthcare was really hard, right? That's or, why it or took so us complicated, right? Right. Yeah. That's why it took. That's why it took over a century to 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 do any real healthcare reform. Yeah. Right. Um, can they um, 
can they move into well one of the reasons and they've admitted this that they wanted to do health care first is because if they get rid of only get rid of those subsidies they'd have all kinds of money that they could use for tax reform so right. they said that one has to come before the other if they drop health care to can they still move into tax reform i think they're going to do it anyway it sounds like so you know and i think this is actually if strategically if i was the president's team mm-hmm. i might think about doing that first that feels like that's his area of strength when you look at just um his background right I'm, i i know how businesses work i know what we need to jumpstart the economy um i don't believe that but that's a selling point right that that president yeah, trump can that, go after that's, and that's, you look at steve munition um, you look at uh, Gary Cohn, you look at the people around him, that really right. should be his strength. And so I think it was a strategic blunder. Um, and I think actually um, what you're going to see is a real fissure between the president and Speaker Ryan, because I think he trusted Speaker Ryan with this agenda and he mm-hmm. trusted his guidance yeah. and he trusted these uh, you know, creatures of the swamp, right? The Washington insiders that he's supposed to be draining the swamp of. He trusted them with his agenda. Uh, they just happen to be Republican creatures of the swamp. Right. Uh, yeah. We, we, he, he put. He did. He put all of his faith in Paul Ryan, and we see uh, who is who might end up being the biggest loser, right? Of this kind of first 100 days. Um, you know, Paul Ryan. I think his reputation has taken a tremendous hit. Um, he has proven to be a really ineffective leader. Um, you know, to come up and basically, <clears throat> excuse me, to say that healthcare failed because they're learning how to be a leadership party. That's, yeah. you know, that's unacceptable. Uh, right. Yeah. They've had seven years, as we've, we've pointed out, to come up with a plan, came up with no plan at all. And they don't care. Yeah. Seven years to where they were trying to get the power back, trying to get the power back. And then, and then he says, well, see, we never thought we'd have to govern. Right. But, yeah. Give us a break. Right. Yeah. Um, Joel Payne here with us again from uh, the Corvus MSL Group here in Washington, D.C. Um, so for, on Friday, no big surprise, um, but there were several requests under the Freedom of Information Act for the White House to follow the pattern of the Obama White House. Sure. And even if they did so reluctantly to release every so often the logs of people who had come into the White House or to Mar-a-Lago in this case because the president spends a lot of time there, Uh, the visitor logs. President Obama didn't want to do it. He finally agreed to do it. Uh, And at the time, uh, then Donald Trump, candidate Donald Trump, kept blasting President Obama. What what do you have to hide? Why aren't you releasing the visitor logs? What's going on? Friday, Donald Trump announces he's not going to release them. At all. Does that does, does anybody care? Does that have any impact? I wish people cared. I, I don't. I, I don't think that's a voting issue. I don't think people are going to, you know, when they're sitting at home in, you know, Iowa and Michigan and West Virginia, right, all these places around the country, and they're thinking about what's affecting them. I don't think people care, but I think it's a really important indicator of what's going on here. And I also think, you know, what's interesting with the last, what, 10 days or so when there's been a lot going on internationally, I think the president— um, has really gotten we've gotten away from the focus on uh, the the links to Russia. Uh, we've gotten away on uh, you know from just you know understanding and and really getting a sense of how deep in it is he um, with with these Russian ties. I mean, you see the stuff that's happening with Carter Page um, and some of the other folks on the campaign, Paul Manafort, and I can't help but think there's got to be linkage there between. 
um, you know, potentially having to answer for that one day in in uh, in court and and actually, um, you know, the, the president trying to kind of protect his bacon a little bit there. Um, I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. That doesn't make any sense. So are you um, saying you yeah. think that the visitor logs would show that there were some Russian nationals or Russian connections of people coming in? It, it's on. It, look, at this point, it's on. They don't get the benefit of the doubt at this point. Right. So everything's on the table. I mean, they've been untruthful about everything else up to this point regarding Russia. Um, people like Carter Page, people like Paul Manafort. Um, they've all already been very untruthful about that. So I don't see any reason why we should believe that there's no linkage to that now. Um, so I, I actually um, think that in terms of Friday news dumps, that's a pretty significant one. I just, you know, like you alluded to at the beginning, I don't know if people really care about that and are going to really hold the president to account on that because there's so much going on. Uh, and also, um, one, what I thought was almost laugh out loud funny was their excuse that this is for to, to protect our national security. They cannot release these names. Now, you know, I go to the White House almost every day for the briefings, and when I'm going in and out of the gate, there are other people who are there going to meetings in the White sure. House. You know, I, sometimes I see friends of mine, labor leaders or whatever, who are going in, at least under the previous administration sure. I would. Sure. But I see people, and, you know, whatever. Uh, national security? Get out of here. Yeah. I mean, these are these are just people going in their meeting. They're not all going in to meet with the president, meeting with different people in the old executive office building or in the White House. My feeling is this is our house, right? It's the people's house. I think we have a right to know for the most part. I'm sure there's some I would agree, like Obama and his President Obama and his wife. If they had friends over for dinner, they didn't release. I mean, you can understand they sure. do a little private life. They never release those. You're that's there fine. For an official that's visit. fine. Yeah. That's that's not an official visit. But if people are coming in to talk business in our house, damn it, we have a right to know who's going in, who's going out, and who they're meeting with. And two things that jump out to me: one, it just smacks in the face of all this Jacksonian nonsense, right? I'm Andrew Jackson. I'm I'm the man of the people. Yeah, I'm letting right. you know. I mean, there are some link. There are there are some comparisons to Jackson that are fair. That are not favorable in the in the face of history, um, I would right. argue. But this one, I mean, this he is not a man of the people. He is somebody who has spent his entire life in C-suite and who does not. He he. I think that kind of this is just another piece of evidence that shows the fraudulent nature of his uh, appeal to you know kind of populist feelings out there. Drain the swamp. Uh, yeah, I'd also <laughs> say too, you know. I get so tired of hearing, let's run the government like a business. Let's run, let's run the White House like a business. You can't. You, you can't. I'm sure, look, at Trump Tower in private enterprise, uh, he's done this. And that's fine. Right, right. But this is not Trump Tower. This is, this is, this is the, the people's government. It's the people's house. Um, we deserve to know who's there for official business. And we deserve some transparency with our president. And so... Again, that's just where he's not aligned with the American people on values. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't. I really don't think if you ask most people, "Hey, should you know who's who's in the White House, who's meeting with and advising the president?" I think they they'd want to know. Yeah, uh, and I thought it was uh, as to, to to prove your point, basically, or back up your point. Certainly, Judicial Watch, conservative right wing organization, blasted Trump for this decision. So did the ACLU, so did the Center for American Progress, so did the Media Matters for America, left and right. Everybody said, no, 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 no. Yeah, transparency is, is 
something that we that every administration Absolutely. should follow. Uh, and this administration, and not only that, they're saying you're not. We're not only not going to tell you why we're in the White House. We're not going to release these visitor logs for five years after Trump leaves the White House. I mean, again, what is it? What is? What's it? the point? What's the point of that? That sounds. That sounds like uh, you don't want certain things to be available for discovery. It does. That's. What, I mean, just no. Just someone who's you know, I've 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 worked in very you know with very sensitive matters before, just in private business, and that's what that sounds like to me. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's what he said about President Obama. What does he? What does he have to hide? The, well, the one thing that um, we know, do know uh, about um, Donald Trump is we know where he stands on every issue because this is one guy when he takes a stand, he never <laughs> changes his position, right? It is just the opposite to, to the point where y- your head is spinning trying to keep up with where he is on any particular issue on any particular day. I mean— The flip-flops are out of control. flip-flops, right, whether it's China or Syria— or unemployment numbers, or Janet Yellen, or NATO, I mean, or the Export-Import Bank. It goes on and on, where he is today 180 degrees from where he was a week ago. I mean, particularly in the last week, there were like five major ones. China, Syria, uh, Janet Yellen, Export-Import Bank, and NATO, I guess. Five of them. In, in, in one week. You know, my mind goes back to the 2004 race with Bush and Kerry when uh, all the Bush crowds had the flip-flops and they were they were mocking John Kerry because of the flip-flops and uh, how my how the, the times have changed. I'm conflicted on this one because I agree. The president has really just, you know, I think the term I've heard is head spinning. The changes on a dime, right, in terms of his policy on really important issues. I think we should encourage our political leaders. This is from the perspective of someone who's worked in government. And you work with people who, look, you learn more information and and you change, right? And you're supposed yep. to evolve uh, and you're supposed uh, to adjust. I, I hear where you're so going. I think, right. So I think, so I, I, uh, you know, I, I think there is a limit to the outrage here. But, again, it's one thing to change your position on. You know, I thought we should spend money on this program, but I learned more about it. And now I think we shouldn't. Or I think we should. I think now we should, and I, I didn't think so before. But another thing to one week have Rex Tillerson talking about, uh, you know, the Syrian people have to determine their own leader, and then the next week you're dropping bombs on a Syrian airfield. That's the type of thing that's alarming, and I think that's the type of lack of consistency that's dangerous, particularly on the world stage. So I'm completely with you on those types of flip. No, I hear where you're coming from. I mean, you do. Um, I value somebody who. Um, can learn, right? Yes. Who can grow yes. uh, in the in the job? Yes. I mean, I think that's healthy. It's a sign of a good intellect. But that's not what we see no. here with Donald no, Trump. No, that's right. I mean, for first right. of all, there's no with these changes and these abrupt changes, which are like overnight changes. There's no explanation of why I have moved from position A to position B. It's right? just because Ivanka's in his ear, or because he saw something on Fox and Friends. Or you know because he read something on you know the National Enquirer. I mean, I'm, I'm, and I, it sounds like I'm being facetious, but I'm serious. I, oh, no, I no, honestly no. think that that's that's what it is. Well, with NATO, for example, uh, he said, okay, yeah, they used to be. Yeah, I said that they were obsolete. Now I they're no longer obsolete. Right. And he said because they never did anything about fighting terrorism. 
but now they've changed. They hadn't changed at all. No. They, had, they in fact, have been on the front lines against terrorism no. with, with NATO forces, lost a lot of lives, spent a lot of money with the United States fighting terrorism in Afghanistan and in Iraq and, and throughout the, the, the world. And so Donald Trump was just lying about why he had changed his position, right? Uh, but, we, but we should have seen this coming. I mean, look at what happened during the campaign. I remember this, you know, of course, I was working on the Hillary campaign. And uh, he did his meeting with President Nieto uh, in, in Mexico and said that Nieto was going to pay for the wall. And then, Nieto, oh. I mean, that was a complete disaster. But that was a live fire test of what type of president this would be on the international stage. Um, now, I guess, you know, voters have to kind of live with that. Um, and they see that that was not a that was not a dry run. That was or that was not a that was not a fake. That was the real deal. Again, as we've said, and I think you and I talked about before, there is no 2.0 Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. This is who he is. Yeah. He's a 70 year old man who has been like this for his entire life. Right. Um, so, you know, we can hope that the office changes him to certain you know degrees and in certain ways, particularly with the most sensitive and important uh, parts of his job, but this is who he is. And m- maybe of all the changes, the wall is the most striking of all because every single campaign rally, who's going to pay for the wall? The crowd, Mexico. Mexico. Who's going to pay for the wall? Mexico. Right. There was never any condition. There was no, there wasn't any any if Mexico's going to pay for it, provided but that uh, no no conditions. It was just Mexico's going to pay for it. Now he doesn't even pretend that. Now American taxpayers are going to pay for it. And maybe someday we'll get our money back, but he mm-hmm. doesn't even talk about that anymore. Well, and, you know, then the whole t- thing where, you know, you forget about the Rio Grande River. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure. Sure. But, <laughs> very, very important also to remember that, that there are certain nat- national uh, natural challenges that you're going to have to factor in there. But that's, not, not, that's, not that's Trump-style leadership. Not to mention a lot of uh, <laughs> private property you have to deal uh, with yes. uh, as, <laughs> as, as well along, along that area. You did allude to something that we have lost track of. Uh, it's certainly the, uh, the, if nothing else, the Syrian cruise missile strike uh, managed to get the Russia connection sure. off the front pages. But it didn't really go away, did it? No, I don't. As an know, issue. I, uh, I, don't, I don't think it did. I mean, listen. Well, there are three I, ongoing investigations. Th- there are three ongoing investigations, and you've got, you know, Devin Nunez had to step down from the investigation that he was leading, and, you know, Jeff Sessions had to recuse himself. And, again, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how many more people can recuse themselves from investigations. seems like the Senate Intelligence Committee is the only one that uh, really maintains some level of bipartisanship and fairness. Um, no, I don't think it's gone away. And I think, you know, what bothers me so much is, even if let's just say that the president and his team were just pawns in this and they were, hey, we just, you know, people were using us. We didn't realize it. We didn't realize that we were on the other side of this. Wouldn't a patriot, wouldn't someone who cares about their country, someone who, you know, understands how dangerous this is um, in the context of geopolitics, wouldn't somebody like that go and say, hey, I'm going to cooperate with the FBI. I'm going to make sure that, um, you know, that this does not this does not sully our election Mm -hmm. and our electoral process. Mm -hmm. That's what's so disappointing about this is this is our president. And our president basically said, you know, we don't, I don't, I don't care about the means to which I win. Um, We've seen that before. You've seen that before in in, in the white house. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. No, it is stunning because 
if we're t- if we get back to what remember what happened and how this all started is no doubt about it, no doubt about it. Russia tried to interfere in our presidential election in order to help Donald Trump win. And they were aided and abetted by Trump campaign associates. The evidence would lead us to believe. Right. Yes. And that's that's <laughs> that's what's under investigation yes. is to the extent there was any collusion. But if short of that, just the fact that Russia tried to interfere in our election, it seems to me should be something that everybody would want to get to the bottom. Republicans and Democrats would say this is outrageous. Absolutely. They're a foreign adversary that should never be allowed to happen. So therefore, to your point, we will all cooperate with this investigation yes. to find out exactly what they did, what impact it had, and yes, whether or not there was any collusion between Trump campaign people and the Russians uh, to uh, aid and abet them and uh, at the time. So yeah. we, we, as as Americans, we should want to get to Obama. Instead, you know, with the position of the Trump administration is nothing happened. There was nothing there. There was no connection between anybody, Trump says, around me and Russia. And we see more and more evidence every day that, oh, yeah, there were. There were a lot of connections, right? Jeff Sessions, Jared Kushner, uh, Carter Page, Paul Manafort. I mean, they were all meeting with these Russians. Yeah. And Michael and, Flynn. And, and and I think the part that's so um, damning about this entire thing is that this is the president, right? This is the, this is the head of the snake. This is the person who is supposed to have the best judgment, right? And, and always supposed to look, you know, would, could you imagine President Obama finding out something like this and not responding in, in a way that we would expect him to respond? Could you imagine George Bush Sr. or... Uh, you know, I mean, you just go on down the line, you know, some other presidents, people who we had in that office who are patriots first. Right. You're you're supposed to be a patriot. You're supposed to say, Absolutely. I'm yeah. standing with our country. I don't I don't yeah. I don't care about the you know personal gain that's at stake for me. It's more important than that. It's bigger than that. You're supposed to have perspective. And again, that's a microcosm of the type of president that he is. Right. Again, Joel Payne here with us uh, and continues with us as a friend of Bill this hour. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be joined when we go back by Jeremy Herb from CNN. They're national security reporter, uh, and there are certainly a lot of national security issues to talk about, including whether or not the United States, through a little cyber warfare, was able to um, destroy North Korea's chances to launch yet another missile. On a Monday, April 17, uh, the Bill Press Show, Washington, D.C., is where you find us. Actually, that's where we start, but we end up uh, alongside of you, wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, coast to coast. Part of the Young Turks Network, of, of course, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also looking at you on Free Speech TV and uh, joining you in the Chicago area, around all about Chicago on WCPT. Thanks for being with us. Send us your comments, your comments on the news of the day uh, at BP Show. And from our studio on Capitol Hill, we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, the good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox. They're the ones who keep our federal agencies going day in and day out, serving America, proud to work for Americans every day. We salute them and thank them for their good work uh, and direct you to their website, afge.org. Vice President Mike Pence, in the wake of yesterday's failed uh, missile launch by North Korea, 
uh, Vice President Mike Pence in Pyongyang yesterday saying, uh, warning to North Korea, pretty tough talk, don't North, test us. North Korea would do well not to test his resolve or the strength of the armed forces of the United States in this region. And with a little more saber-rattling, he says, you know, we're hoping China will help us, but if China doesn't, we'll go it alone. The president and I have great confidence that China will properly deal with North Korea. But as President Trump made clear just a few short days ago, if China is unable to deal with North Korea, the United States and our allies will. Pretty tough talk there on the part of the vice president. Joe Payne uh, here with us for the entire hour as a friend of Bill from a Corvus MSL group. And we're now joined by Jeremy Herb from CNN, formerly with HuffPo, wasn't it? Politico. Politico, I'm sorry. Yeah. Jeremy, thanks. Congratulations on the new job. Thank you. Right. Uh, nice to see you. So um, first of all, tell us about this test yesterday. This was the big weekend when they had the big military parade and this was going to be the big show of force, right? It was. And then the missile, they tried a missile launch. The missile failed. Um, and that's, I mean, that's kind of where we stand. You know, this has been more of a regular thing now for North Korea. They've been t- t- test launching missiles with some regularity. Um, and they've had a, a number of them fail as well. And um, so, you know, it's it's interesting. It happened as Vice President Pence was on his way to South Korea um, which was probably no accident, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they, we knew when this, this parade, this whole ceremony was yeah. going to be. And so, um, yeah, there, there, there wasn't an accident that, that the vice president was traveling at the same time. Uh, and nor an accident that they tried to fire this missile off at the same time. Right. Well, and that typically is, is what happens with these parades, is that they try and show some yeah. kind of military strength um, and sometimes more successfully than they did this past weekend. Okay. Now, what about the rumors that um, the United States might have had something to do with that failure? Uh, in fact, if we can, this is uh, Sir, Sir Malcolm Rifkin, Peter. Uh, Sir Malcolm Rifkin, who a uh, former foreign uh, foreign uh, amb- uh, foreign secretary mm-hmm. of the UK, uh, suggesting that we might be responsible here. It could have failed because uh, the system is not competent enough to make it work. Uh, but there is a very strong uh, belief that the Americans, through cyber methods, uh, have been successful on several occasions in interrupting uh, these sort of tests and making them fail. Are we that? Diabolical and that clever? It's a fair question. I mean, we had previously in Iran with the Stuxnet virus, we did see this kind of cyber offensive operations. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, no one is confirming that the U.S. was involved here. KT McFarlane, the uh, deputy national security writer, was on the Sunday shows yesterday sort of saying, well, I can't say anything about it without really getting into it. Um, It's possible, of course. Um, Obviously, we're trying to do anything we can, as, as the administration has said, any means necessary to stop uh, North Korea's nuclear program. But there, we, there's no way for us, at least at this point, to know that, that the U.S. was involved. But President Obama did initiate a cyber um, counter-strategy, right? Oh, yeah. And this is something the military <clears throat> is working, works on both, as they like to say, defensive and offensive cyber operations. So it's, it's, it's in the realm of possibility. Uh, but there's nothing nothing to suggest or to confirm that the U.S. was, in fact, involved in this particular launch failure. So, Joel, if the Russians can hack the DNC, why can't—I mean, it seems to me 
we should be capable of hacking the North Korean missile system. It's uh, not yeah. that it's not that unbelievable. Is I it? think so too. I think it's also interesting. I, I saw that KT McFarlane interview, and, and it made me wonder. Uh, or made me wonder aloud, is this the reason why she's no longer the Deputy National Security uh, Advisor? Because she was very loose, I thought, uh, with some of the information um, there and, and made a lot of suggestions that I think would make anyone who works in that field a little uncomfortable. I, I actually had a question for you as well, just in terms of, um, you know, the, in the the relationship with North Korea. Is this about as bad as it's been um since, you know, in, in, in recent history or, you know, give, give us a little bit of perspective on that in terms of the brinksmanship that we're at now. I think it's just a, a real factor that North Korea is getting better at developing weapons and they're, they are advancing in their nuclear program. Um, they've been testing medium range missiles. You know, they say they're working on a long range missile. And of course, the danger for the U.S. is that they develop an ICBM that can hit the U.S. And that's kind of where President Trump is said his red line is that we are not going to let them get to that point. Uh, but we've seen a more regular missile tests, more regular nuclear tests that have kind of ramped up towards the end of the Obama administration and now into the Trump administration. So what confidence do we have that China is going to step in and put North Korea in its place? It's a good question. Uh, the president you know, met with President Xi. Uh, he sort of he suggested on, on Twitter that that China is working now towards helping with North Korea. He kind of put that in with the whole currency manipulation issue is kind of saying they're all connected. Uh, but China plays a key role here because China is kind of the North Korean's economic lifeline. It, it's That's their bridge to kind of keeping money going in addition to kind of their nuclear program. And it's always been a question of how much China really pushes on the North Koreans and how much influence they ultimately have. Uh, President Trump kind of hinted that the Chinese president suggested they don't have total control over Kim Jong-un and what he decides to do, that it is more complicated than that. Uh, but they obviously are going to play a key role going forward. But in their statement over the weekend, they seem to um, uh, be they were as hard on the United States as they were on North Korea. Just about. I mean, they said both sides have to really lower the temperature here. Right. And this saber rattling on. Is is could get could really get be dangerous and go out of control. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, China, China is in a lot of ways playing a, a middleman here, and they don't want they don't want military conflict. They they very much do not want the U.S. to put the THAAD missile defense system in South Korea, which is proceeding now at this point. Uh, they you know they're wary of U.S. military action there because it's so close to to China, and so you know I don't think we've seen major action that would suggest they have turned the page. But so far, I would say there's suggest, they're suggestion that they could be kind of moving in that direction. But, uh, yeah, as Joel, on Joel's point, you know, the rhetoric, listening to, to Pence there at the top, you know, it's, it's pretty intense right now, right? I mean, it, it, there is a lot of saber rattling going on, much, much more so with the, not, that, not that President Obama was soft on North Korea at all, but the the rhetoric has stepped up a, a bit under Donald Trump. It has. And and you look at the military action in, in Syria and Afghanistan, and some, yes. some officials say, well, North Korea, you need to look at that. The problem, of course, is what happens if you take that military step. There's a reason that, that none of the previous administrations did act militarily. We have 30,000 U.S. troops in South Korea. Uh, North Korea has plenty of, of conventional artillery they can use to attack South Korea if we were to attack North Korea. So the options there militarily are difficult. 
What does your reporting tell you about who in the White House is leading this in terms of, is this a, a Kushner-led effort? Um, is this Tillerson? Is this Nikki Haley? Who's driving the strategy right now um, behind the pushback to North Korea? You know, it's a good question, and I think that may kind of ultimately decide which direction the administration decides to go. We, I mean, obviously have a lot of different uh, different voices. When it came to Syria, for instance, I think Secretary Mattis, H.R. McMaster were kind of the driving force. Sure. Um, I don't know that, it, you know, I don't know that it's totally clear yet just because we haven't really done anything besides the rhetoric. You know, we, we've moved some ships around. We've, we've you know, Vice President Pence is there, but there's not not necessarily tangible action that suggests that the administration has decided they're going to go Route A or Route B. I'm asking that because I'm just wondering, uh, just a, a, another chapter in the Bannon-Kushner yeah. uh, back oh, and yeah. forth, right? This feels like a real tension <laughs> point. If this was a Bannon-led effort, I feel like we might have already seen missiles fired. And if a Kushner-led effort is maybe a little bit more um, a little bit more diplomacy involved. It's hard to read because, you know, Bannon is an uh, America first or nationalist. He was one of the ones saying we should not be the world's yeah. policemen. We should not be taking all this military action all around the world. And Donald Trump's going in the opposite direction here. But, um, you know, you you pointed out something that really worries me. I mean, uh, it seems to me that, that Donald Trump, his approach to the military is almost like a new toy that he's playing with, right? So, we launched um, a, a, a Navy SEAL strike in uh, in Yemen, right, which a little botched uh, raid in Yemen. We launched these 49 cruise missiles against Syria. We dropped the mother of all bombs on Afghanistan. There's no doubt in my mind that Donald Trump would bomb North Korea. Well, you know, I think— Why am I wrong? We, I think we're, we may find out uh, because I think as of right now, the North Koreans' path to developing that, that ICBM could be in the next four years, according to some estimates. Yeah. What, if that, what if that launch Sunday, yesterday, had succeeded? What would Donald Trump's response be? It's a fair question. S- send a message. But, but I think, again, we're going to find out because it's not the last launch they're going to do. They're, they're, I don't think there's any sign that North Korea is going to slow down on its launches and its nuclear tests. There were some rumors that what they were planning this past weekend an underground was an nuclear test. Which, again, wouldn't be the first time they've done it. Uh, they did one. It was either late last year or earlier this year. Uh, but I think as they come closer to developing an ICBM, a long-range missile, that's where you're going to have to see, I think, the prospect of military action becomes more likely. And were we to do that, what would North Korea's response be? Again, that's that's the hard part because... It, but mo- there's, there's the, no doubt what their response would be. Well, is I there? think the prediction is that they would go after South Korea. They, right. would, they would launch missiles so we're, there. We're, we're into World War III. It's a, it's, a, it's a big prickly problem, and I think it, it's why no other administration, as North Korea became a nuclear power, launched an attack to stop them. Because I mean, Seoul is an easy shot for North Korea. Seoul, Japan, um, yeah, there, there are lots of problems I mean, with that strategy. Yeah, and I, and I think that's why it's so interesting when you think about the president's strategy towards China, which, I, you know, I have to say, as much as we've been um, taking, taking shots at the president here this morning, uh, I got to say, it seems like it was a really smart attempt to really get G, get on his good side. Um, but I also wonder, too, that Syria, yeah. that Syria strike that happened while G was at Mar-a-Lago, that was a message, right? I mean, that, that was there was no accident that G was sitting at a table a couple of rooms over while he was uh, commanding that strike, right? Yeah, it's a fair point. And you will you notice this, the uh, the U.N. resolutions 
the Trump administration was happy that uh, China abstained when Russia vetoed um, the resolution that they passed. So maybe that is a sign. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about some of these actions. What impact in the real world did the cruise missile strike on Syria have? Well, that's a fair question. Um, Any? I think, I mean, I think it sent a message to the Assad regime uh, that, you know, we are going to respond to chemical attacks. If, if another chemical attack happens, maybe it didn't have such a real-world impact, but I think that still is something that we have to see into the future. Um, and, you know, it, it, it certainly did send a message, I think, you know, to the North Koreans, perhaps to the Iranians, uh, that, that, you know, the president is willing to, to take this action. It's not just America first, as he had been saying in the campaign. Okay, but, okay, we'll, it proves we'll take this action if they use chemical weapons ever again. Meanwhile, there's a civil war that's gone on for six years. Over 400,000 civilians have been killed in Syria. Four million have fled Syria. And, and the indiscriminate bombing, just horrific stuff that the Syrian government is up to every day. And we're doing nothing about that. And that is a, a prickly, prickly problem that, that the, the strikes did not get any closer to solving. Um, you know, Assad, Assad is still... Um, in power, he's still, you know, he's not he's not threatened right now. Um, we still have ISIS there. There's still a messy kind of three-way with other parties, civil war going on there, uh, where there is no easy solution. Yeah. Is there is there any indication that the president has changed on his attitude towards Syrian refugees, given the fact that you know there's yeah. more? Right. Yeah. I, 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 I I agree no, with the, I, I agree with your instinct there, Bill. But I'm just wondering if the reporting tells. There haven't been any indications. Some no. Democrats after the strike said, yeah. "Well, yes, but what about your refugee policy? Uh, uh, refugee policy policy? Yeah. Excuse me." And we haven't seen anything to suggest that that's softening uh, uh, or changing. Uh, so this question came up at uh, the White House briefing uh, the day after uh, the uh, missile strike. Uh, so what are we doing f to help the people of Syria? And Sean Spicer's answer was, the best thing we could do for the people of Syria was to, uh, to send them. in the, to bomb them, yeah. to bomb, yeah. Uh, because that made it a lot safer for the people of Syria. No, it didn't. I mean, it didn't create any safe zone. I mean, it didn't, in terms of the population of Syria, it didn't change the equation uh, uh, at all. Uh, and in terms of letting in Syrian refugees, no, the Trump policy on that remains the same. But I'll ask the same question then about uh, the dropping of the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan w w in that remote area. What was that all about and what impact did that have in the real world? Well, it took out some ISIS tunnels um, and it, it was a show of strength um, in Afghanistan where, you know, don't forget we are fighting now for 16 years. 16 years, it, I know. It, it was interesting because it's something that, that both during the campaign President Trump, Hillary Clinton did not really get into. It came up just in passing once in the debates. Um, and, and so far, the Trump administration hasn't said how it plans to shift or change, if at all, the policy there where the President Obama left 8,400 troops when he left office. Uh, so perhaps it is a sign we, we are going to ramp up military operations, try and kind of drive the Taliban and, and ISIS out further. Uh, but it may have just been you know, a military opportunity uh, it's not clear yet that President Trump specifically authorized that bomb to be dropped. It might he delegated more authority for the military to to authorize strikes, and so it's not in completely clear who authorized it. But obviously, it sent a message. It's it's kind of the biggest, I guess, biggest news event in Afghanistan we've had for for some months now. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of people have kind of forgotten about uh, the operation uh, in, in Afghanistan. 
But I guess my, what I'm getting to is there seems to, so far, the Trump strategy, to, to the extent that there is one, is, you know, a military strike here or drop a bomb here. But beyond that, what is there? I think it still it still remains to be seen. I think it, it's still too early to say just just what the the larger strategy is, particularly if there you know, is one. It, well, in it, in in Syria, I think the thing to watch for is what happens after Raqqa falls. We're still helping the the Syrian rebels kind of advance on Raqqa. You know, when when if Raqqa, and when ISIS, which is ISIS headquarters, ISIS, exactly right. ISIS headquarters, and when they are driven out of there. What happens next in terms of U.S. policy toward Assad, towards ISIS? And, and I think that's kind of the, the, the point to watch for. Broadening out a little bit, just in terms of Trump on the international stage, you know, we saw the awkward meeting with Angela Merkel um, last month. You know, I wonder about the impact of those types of interactions and just the, you know, I mean, I think he insulted the Australian prime minister a couple months back. Are we seeing any impact in terms of, you know, the idea of, this is hurting Trump building coalitions and building support around some of the um, military strategies or some of the defense strategies that he's trying to employ. It's a fair question. I don't think we've had that tested just yet. You know, we had him with the, the NATO secretary general where he was all about NATO after calling it obsolete sure. during the campaign. Um, and we haven't really gotten to a point you know, in Afghanistan. We have you know, a big coalition there and, and our co- European countries, our NATO allies going to re-up troops there. Same with Syria. I think you know, as those decisions come up, that's where that will be tested and we'll see whether or not some of his uh, foreign policy, you know, issues there in terms of dealing with other world leaders, you know, does amount to something. Joel Payne with us from uh, Corvus MSL Group and uh, Jeremy Herb from CNN. Okay, so you are the new national security reporter at CNN, correct? Yes. All right, so you're the person to ask this question. What is the national security implication of releasing the visitor logs at the White House. The <laughs> Trump administration said they will not release visitor logs at the White House nor at Mar-a-Lago until five years after Donald Trump leaves the White House. Why? To protect our national security. I think I'm going to have to take a pass on that one. I, I, cannot, uh, I cannot give you an answer there. You're going to have to ask the Trump administration. Uh, do you, in your uh, experience uh, at Politico and at CNN covering national security issues, do you see any national security implica- or issues? Or- well, the, the one thing I think of is that the, the Obama logs weren't necessarily complete. Uh, there, you know, there was a public release of, of who came to the White House, but it wasn't always everyone. And so, yeah. six million names—that's yeah. that's a lot of names, yes. though. Yes, right. it is. And you, you know, you see who. But they they left in. some people off the list. Yeah. We said that earlier. Yeah. You know, for example, their private social socializing when they'd have friends over for dinner. You understand they weren't on there, and they were also. We don't know who they were, but they said occasionally there was like a really, really top secret meeting. You understand that, too, if there were a real national security the, issue. The name I will be looking for five years after when they are released is, uh, is Devin Nunes. See if he if he no. winds up on the logs. Good boy. How many times, right? Well, how many times and, and you know, particular meeting he had a, a yeah. couple weeks back. See or if that how about, on there. How about Ambassador Kislyak? Hmm, maybe he came in at nighttime. You never know, right? Qu- quick, quick question. But if I'm I could just finish sorry, that. I'm so sorry. But really, I mean, that's... He has to finish grilling Jeremy. <laughs> no, I mean, it, you, you, uh, 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 it's just BS, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I think the White House pretty clearly does not want to release them. And, you know, you got to give a reason why. Yeah. 
I mean, national security, people roll that out anytime they don't want to do something, right? The, the same is true of FOIA laws. Uh, the Freedom of Information Act, national security is constantly stated as, as a reason, you know, to, uh, to not release information. It seems to me there, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Payne, there were some uh, Hillary emails that were not released for national security no, reasons. I, I, emails. <laughs> I, I, I just had a nightmare last night about emails. So, you know, yeah. Sorry to bring it back. Right, seriously. That, yeah. yeah. Right. Just, just really quickly, you know, um, Bill and I were talking a little bit about just Russia a little bit before you got in here. And I'm just wondering, all of these things that we're talking about on an international stage really over the last 10 to 14 days, it's kind of turned the heat down on Russia a little bit for the president, um, at least from the front pages of all the newspapers. J- just from your perspective, the Russian response to whether it's the North Korea saber rattling or the Syrian strikes, is there a significant shift there in the relationship between the Trump White House and Russia? It certainly seems that way. I think I don't know that the, the Russians thought that Trump was going to bomb Syria, where we're obviously there also on the ground supporting Assad. And so I think that more than anything so far, we have seen that shift. Whether that continues to play out going forward, it, it, I think it's still too soon to say. Yeah. But the but the Russian is, issue, the, no matter how much badly the Donald Trump White House wants it to disappear, it's not going to go away, right? Not I mean, for the not for the foreseeable future. I think the Senate Intelligence Committee is is moving deliberately with their investigation. They're still talking to people in the uh, intelligence community right now and sort of building up their their case before they start bringing in witnesses like Jared Kushner and maybe some others. Um, so it, it's not going anywhere. It's just kind of in a, in a period where the House just changed its leadership. You know, the Senate is sort of doing its groundwork. And so I think in the coming weeks and months, we're going to it's going to heat up again. Uh, and you've got the FBI investigation ongoing, which uh, is the one we hear maybe the least about, but mm-hmm. which may be the most uh, the most serious of all. Sort of Comey's chance to to uh, redeem himself. Yeah, I, I, I wish I knew what Jim Comey was thinking. <laughs> I think that might be the question of yeah. Washington right now. Uh, one final question, just about out of time. But uh, in terms of national security issues, it seems, but sort of picking up on your point, Joel. That um, Lieutenant General McMaster's has emerged as kind of the, the maybe the main leader here, huh? Or coming into his own? Yeah, he certainly gained power. I think you know, obviously, when we saw Bannon was taken off the National Security Council, that I think yeah. was a clear sign mm-hmm. that Trump was siding, you know, with McMaster um, in that in that struggle, and you know, also just the fact that the actions we've seen taken, you know, in Syria and elsewhere, I think. So far, as a sign. Now it always could shift in the next week or two. Right, it's a thing but to keep a, in mind. He seems a, a powerful presence, and he's in Afghanistan right now on a little fact-finding mission. So, uh, Jeremy, great to see you in your new job. Thank, Thank you. you. Congratulations again. And Joel, always good to have you with us. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Blasting through the hour and uh, getting through a lot of material. Uh, that does it for this day, April 17. You got one more day to get those taxes done and get them in by midnight tomorrow. Have a great Monday, folks. Come back and see us again tomorrow. This we'll be looking for you. is the Bill Press Show.